Today on Stick to Football, it's a whole new Stick to Football because Connor and I are on camera today. He's in New York. I'm in Missouri. You can watch the show now on Bleacher Report's YouTube page. You can see us in the Bleacher Report app. But most importantly, buddy, I love that hoodie you are wearing. Looking looking good. Uh, I kept this one in the back pocket from Vegas, Matt. I had to leave something here. But uh, I can't say that I am besides the, the football helmet here. It's good to be on video. It's good to be home. How are you doing uh, recovery-wise here after that long time on Pacific time? Not great. Um, <laughs> I think because because people can see uh, there, there's bags under my eyes. It's just it's been uh, an adjustment going eight days in Pacific time and coming home. But buddy, we got a lot of news to talk about today, which is, you know, it's it's in season now for us. So a lot of the show is going to be a lot of news, draft notes, game notes and, and the biggest event. And honestly, maybe in my football career as a writer is that Andrew Luck unexpectedly announced his retirement. Well, he didn't get a chance to announce it. Adam Schefter announced it Saturday night uh, during the the Colts preseason game. And that's really where I want to start today. Talking to you, Andrew Luck tells a couple people, hey, I'm going to retire probably tomorrow on Saturday night. It gets to Adam Schefter and Schefter puts it on Twitter, says, hey, Andrew Luck's going to retire. Shocks the world, really. I mean, we saw Colts fans react. We saw Colts players react. We saw, you know, analysts and fans react on Twitter. But where this starts is Adam Schefter breaking the news. Do you take any issue with Schefter doing that and not letting Andrew Luck have his moment and make his announcement? Well, I think it's tough, too. I think Adam Schefter is paid by ESPN to be the best newsbreaker in the football industry. I think it's a really tough situation to sit here and say, how could he do this? But at the same time, uh, it obviously led to really poor results, Matt, with him being essentially booed off the field. It created very emotional, reactionary moments from Colts fans, which I didn't like. But at the same time, I think we can understand why they were so upset. And you really have to feel bad for Andrew Luck. Forget the the god-awful takes on Twitter about him you know, it being soft for not wanting to rehab and all that nonsense. It was ridiculous. So I think when you look at it, it's hard to sit here and say anyone else in the world would have sat on that kind of news considering Adam Schefter didn't. But you can also say it created what was essentially a pretty shitty situation, Matt. It, it really was. And and I, I want to chime in on this. If if that news had got to me before it got Schefter, I would have tweeted that as soon as my little fingers could have typed it out. That is his job. Like you said, he's paid by ESPN to break news. He's not paid by the Colts, and he's definitely not paid to, I mean, to protect the feelings of players, unfortunately. I mean, it's just this is the world we live in where news is so valuable and so important, especially when it comes to the NFL. You got to get that out there as fast as possible so that someone doesn't beat you to it. So I, I think Schefter was just doing his job. Now, I've actually heard uh, from a lot of people within the Colts organization after this happened. I've talked to a couple Colts players. Uh, I've read other people's reactions to this, and I thought it was interesting. Darius Leonard, who is probably now the one of the leaders of this team, said that at first he was actually angry and then he had time to like go home and think about it. And I'm not in any way trying to validate the fans who booed because I think that's just, it's low class. It really is. But I can understand being upset, especially in the heat of the moment that here you are two weeks before the season and your quarterback just retired. Now that does need context. You got to step back and say, okay, 
this guy has been so hurt in his seven-year career that we understand why he's walking away. And that it might actually be to the benefit of the team down the road because of the injuries. I think mostly, Matt, a lot of people just forgot the long list of injuries he's dealt with since being drafted. He's been beat up. He didn't have an offensive line for many, many years during the Ryan Griegson era. So that was an issue. Uh, We even saw a couple of viral clips of him. I remember one on the sideline of him trying to convince Coach Pagano that he wanted to come back in and they needed to protect him. So this is not somebody that was soft. This is not somebody that did not try to play through pain many, many times. This is someone that hit the breaking point at 29 years old that right now it, it was time to hang him up. He feels he he wants to live a long life. He has other interests. I remember talking to somebody, you know, that is very plugged in around the league, especially the Colts organization. And they said 16, 18 months ago, they had already started to hear rumblings that he was getting tired of the injuries, that he had other life interests off the field, and that the Colts didn't really react the way the fans did, where they were like, okay, this is something that has been a possibility for over a year now, and one more injury was all it really took. I don't know if he even would have been ready for the regular season this year, but it finally hit the breaking point where he feels it's the right thing to walk away from this game right now. And I understand being upset about it because I'm I'm old enough to remember when Barry Sanders did this and I was heartbroken because I loved Barry Sanders and, and he was the best running back in football and he walked away. Um, you're old enough to remember Brett Favre, uh, you know, retiring at the end, but then, you know, <laughs> dabbling with coming back. And, you know, we've seen Calvin Johnson do it. We've seen Rob Gronkowski do it. And so I will just say this, even if even if Mahomes did this next week and he's my favorite player in the NFL, I think that my my standpoint from now would just be I'm not that player. I cannot speak on their decision making. I wish them the best. Now, from a football standpoint, I don't think Jacoby Brissett's a bad option. There's a reason they traded for this guy. There's a reason they've kept him. And of course, this works out perfectly. He's on the last year of a rookie deal. So we get a year basically to see what type of quarterback Jacoby Brissett can be. And I think that one one thing I tweeted out. Uh, Sunday, I spoke to some Colts people and they said, you know, this team was built to win, not to win with Andrew, but to win. And they think that JB can be the guy to get it done. And I love that, that this team believes they're not laying down. They're not. A lot of people are saying, well, are they going to tank again? Because if you remember at the after the Peyton Manning era, it was basically, okay, you know, we're going to tank now. They get Andrew Luck. It's like they've gone from great quarterback to great quarterback. And a lot of people are probably sitting there wondering, can they really do this again and end up with Tua Tonga Vailoa, uh, Justin Herbert, somebody along that line? Trevor Lawrence, maybe. They're just they're just not going to. God, could you imagine? That's not actually crazy. But they're just not going to be a bad football team this year with Jacoby Brissett. I, I think they have a lot of pieces on defense. They still have good playmakers on offense and a strong offensive line. Brissett has to be jacked up about this opportunity to finally be the guy when he's flashed in so many different instances. So I think when you look at it, can we sit here and say that Brissett is a franchise quarterback? That would be ridiculous. We haven't seen enough. But can we sit here and say he has the talent to become one? I think so. I think he can make every single throw. He's got a phenomenal arm. He moves well. He seems like a bright guy. He really does. I think great he's leader. A great, great leader. I think there's some examples of him. Maybe that decision-making needs to be sped up. He's holding on to the ball too long. But, of course, every quarterback that hasn't played a lot has things to work on. So if you're a Colts fan, you're not expected to be you know, ready to move on from the Andrew Luck era. But if there's something to look forward to is your quarterback that's coming in is not Curtis Painter. 
this time. You have somebody that's exciting to watch. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it's not Jim Sorgi. You have a Sorgi, decent quarterback. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I would change them as my pick to win the AFC South. I would actually go to the Texans, but... I still think this is a really, really good team. Uh, moving on to another uh, player that has constantly been in the news, Ezekiel Elliott. Basically, the negotiations have hit the press and hit the public, and we now feel reasonably confident that the Cowboys have offered him a deal that would make him the second highest paid running back in the NFL behind Todd Gurley. And so, I mean, you've posed the question, should he take the deal? And I am going to say yes. And the whole reason that I'm going to say yes is because your favorite team has a running back who, when he decided to hold out, was, in my opinion, the best running back in football. And he bet on himself, and he lost $15 million. And I know these guys are going to make $100 million in their career, and that doesn't seem like a lot of money. It is. It is a lot of money, no matter how much money you have. You only have so many years as a running back to make money. So if I'm Zeke, I swallow my pride a little bit and say, okay, I want a ton of this guaranteed. I want a ton of it up front, but I'm going to take my 20 million a year or whatever it might be. And I'm going to play ball for the next four or five years, because after that, he's really at the end of his prime and he's at the end of his, you know, high value earning phase of his career. Basically, I think the one thing that Le'Veon taught us is if you're a running back, holding out is not going to work for you. I think one of your last points was the most important to me, and that is how much of this money is guaranteed. That's the most important thing to me, because I think something that happened with the Le'Veon negotiations with Pittsburgh was we saw these inflated numbers thrown around, whether it was 45, 60 mil, all these kinds of numbers. And nobody really knew the guarantees. What was the real money in that? What was the security? And that's something Le'Veon has always been public about is I needed long term security in this game when my body is handling the load of 400 plus touches a year. I think when you look at Zeke right now, we see this phrase thrown around second highest paid running back. That sounds great. That money. And he's a young player, a really young player where if he gets that four or five year deal, Matt, maybe he can cash in similarly to way uh, Matt Forte did one last time when Matt Forte was up on that big money deal at the end of Chicago, he got one more decent contract with the jets. Zeke is somebody that might be 28, 29 years old and maybe can get another two or three year kind of deal. So that's why it's so important for him to get this contract done. Now you could hit the market maybe one more time, assuming your body holds up. But most importantly is forget the annual average per year because it is a pride thing. He, of course, he wants to be the number one guy. But if you can get the most guaranteed money, that's what you need to be holding out for. And that's what you should come back for if Dallas is willing to pony up. Like we haven't seen these numbers manipulated before so that when, you know, when Schefter and Rappaport tweeted out, they can say, oh, the most money for a running back ever. Make it the most guaranteed. That's That's all that matters for running back ever. No one fucking cares after that. Like, just just do it. Just give him the guaranteed money over two years, front load the shit out of it. And then you have money to sign Dak and Amari Cooper and Leighton Vander Esch and everyone else down the road. I think that's how they have to do it. Now, a team that the Cowboys will be facing this year, their rival, the Washington Redskins, they have a mess on their hands, which I know no one is surprised about because they're the Redskins. This Trent Williams situation is insane to me. Now, last week while we were in Vegas, it got leaked that a team had offered, the Patriots, I believe it was the team, had offered a first-round pick, and Washington said no. So to me, that says, okay, they're leaking this, hoping that someone offers a mid-first-round pick or a package that 
it includes a first and then a kicker, you know, a third or fourth round pick. I don't understand what they're waiting for because he has said, I will never play for you again. <laughs> you have to move him while you can still get something in return. Sitting around waiting, and I know this is the opposite of what we just said with Zeke. Like, you got to take your money when you can get it. Left tackle and running back could not be more different at the position value. Trent Williams, if he's never going to play for you again, you you have to trade his ass and try to get something in return. Uh, Matt, this is simply called lacking awareness is what this is. Trent Williams just turned 31 years old this summer. He is arguably the best offensive tackle in football. And Washington is not a team right now that plans on winning this year. They just drafted a quarterback in the first round. They seem hell-bent on sitting him. If you were going to play Dwayne Haskins right away, then you want Trent Williams back because Haskins is a guy that we've seen needs time. He needs time in the pocket. He's not great on the move. When you give him that clean pocket is when that lively arm comes to play and he can pick apart secondaries. If you're going to sit Haskins... Go get the return now for Trent Williams while you can. For a 31-year-old player, his value is still extremely high because he plays at an elite level at a premium position at a market where multiple contenders, hello Cleveland Browns and maybe New England Patriots, could use this kind of caliber of an offensive lineman at this point of the season. And Trent Williams is telling everyone, I'm not coming back. I don't want to play for them. And now we're seeing the reports that he's healthy. So it's not even a, I'm not healthy, I'm not coming back. It's a, fuck you, I'm not playing for you anymore. So with Trent, this is an ugly situation. I have liked a lot of things Washington has done recently. This is not one of them, and they should capitalize on his value immediately. And I know I've had a lot of people tweet me, why doesn't Washington just trade him for Houston for Jadevian Clowney? That's not even even. Washington doesn't need Jadevian Clowney. They drafted it, also that. <laughs> but they drafted Montez Sweat. They have Ryan Kerrigan. They have Ryan Anderson. They don't need Jadevian Clowney, especially for a one-year rental. I mean, Houston needs Trent yes. Williams like crazy, yes. no doubt. But they don't have a general manager to execute this trade, so they can't do it. I'm with you, man. There are so many teams that could use Trent Williams. Uh, New England is one for sure. There aren't many teams that that could do better yes, than Trent Williams at left tackle. Not, fuck, Joe Staley has looked terrible in the I preseason. Know. I would take Trent Williams. Like Eric Fisher. It might be holding the Chiefs offensive line back. I'm sure they would take Trent Williams. If I, there are so many teams. If I was John Dorsey, the, I would trade two first-round picks for Trent Williams right now. Oh, Cleveland definitely two does. first rounders. You have a built to win right now team that needs a franchise tackle. So yeah. see if you can get Josh Doxon while you're at it, because your receiver depth isn't great. And it, apparently they're going to try to move but him. They just too. cut so, Jalen Strong, who was having a good camp. Finally, we've waited years for this for Jalen Strong. It, isn't it amazing that and I've this is my ninth year covering the NFL. Every time I start to think, oh, man, Washington figured it out. Look at this good draft they had. They're, they're figuring it out. They just go and like shit themselves over and over again. And it's, you know, it's like as long as Dan Snyder has his hands in the football the operations, problem. this is what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that's the problem. And so. I hope for Trent, he ends up on a contender. And I hope for Washington, because I want to see Dwayne Haskins succeed. I hope they get some serious capital back where they can keep building that team 
in uh, next year's first round. So speaking of guys that need to be moved, Jadavion Clowney, you brought it up already, Matt. This thing is just dragging out, man. Is there going to be any solution to this by the end of uh, by the end of the preseason here? I think there could be. Um, I know that this is something they have been very torn about for a long time. And I talked about it on this show before the draft that there was you know, some rumors that he might be traded, but they were asking for basically three picks, you know, so it'd be a two, like a two, four, six type package. And that's, that's just a, a random number out there, but that that's kind of what they were looking for. And then I like last week, some people tried to start stuff on Twitter that maybe Tyree kill would get traded for Jadavion Clowney. That would shock the hell out of me. Just be, I mean, yes, it's a need for Kansas city, but trading Tyree kill would blow my mind. And especially, I, I don't know why Houston would do that. It really doesn't make any sense. So, I can't completely squash that rumor, but it it doesn't line up logically. But when we look at where someone like Clowney could land, I mean, there are so many teams that could benefit from this player who really was a rare athletic talent when he came out of college. Now, he has been banged up a little bit. He maybe hasn't reached the potential that we all expected coming out of South Carolina, but almost every team could use a player like this. And I would think that you're not going to trade him within the AFC. We've seen that really happen a lot lately. But... Pick a team in the NFC. They could basically benefit from a dude like this. I know we just said Washington, you know, they've drafted for depth there. But, man, if you're the Giants, you could use Jadavion Clowney. If you're the Falcons, you could use Jadavion Clowney. If you're the Panthers, if you're the Saints, there are so many teams. It just run through the list of contenders, basically. They could use a player like this. I would love to see the Rams do it. And I know like they, they've traded so many assets in the past for guys, but it's usually worked out. I would love to see the Rams say, you know what? Uh, we need another pass rusher. We're basically building year to year to try to win a Super Bowl. Let's go get this guy. I'm with you all the way. I think if you're a win now team, then Clowney comes into the picture. The problem is that teams have. You got to pay him. And I don't know how many teams feel comfortable paying him yep. right now. And while we're rumor squashing here, another one that's been attached to Clowney, much like the one you've seen with Tyreek, is that Robbie Anderson in the picture. As far as I could tell everyone, the Jets are obsessed with Robbie Anderson, specifically yeah. the head coach, Adam Gase. That's his favorite wide receiver on the team. So unless Joe Douglas came in and has other plans uh, and isn't listening to Adam Gase already, that one is not happening. They have they expect him to be their number one wide receiver this year. Finally, on the rundown, this is my favorite part of today's Around the League. Carly Lloyd, I believe her manager has come out and said there's been interest from two teams, not naming the teams, for her to kick in the preseason finales this week. I want to see Carly Lloyd do this. I'm so here for it. I think she's got to be better than most. She's better than Cody Parker. She's better than what the Catman was doing in New York or Taylor Bertolette. Wait. I want this to happen for so many reasons. Number one, I think she can. I don't think this is a publicity stunt. I think Carly Lloyd no, can legitimately yeah. kick a field goal 55-plus yards. And she hasn't even been specifically training for it yet, which is interesting. It would give us a lot of uh, excitement for these final preseason games. And also something that I believe she already spoke to. I believe it was in Peter King's article. Uh, the motivation it would create for young girls watching preseason football to see a tr- one of the best uh, U.S. women's soccer players out there on a football team would be absolutely incredible. And I, I truly think Carly Lloyd can do this. That's why I want to see her give it a shot. So, yes, the the media part of me is like, God, please, this would be amazing. I want to see it. Uh, the dad and me, like I have a daughter um, who, has, thank God, or she has no athletic talent, unfortunately. <laughs> so we're not going to ever see Haley kicking the NFL. Uh, but 
it's like that part's cool. Like, yes, let's empower, you know, young ladies and, and little girls to believe they can do anything. Yes, that's amazing. I also want to see her kick against pressure because like it's easy. It's not easy. It's very I think kicking a field goal has to be one of the hardest things that happens in football. It's easier to do that in shorts on a practice field. It's a lot harder to do, as we've seen from guys in the NFL. I mean, Robert Aguayo was a second round pick and couldn't do it. So I want to see her kick against pressure. I would love to see like your Jets be like, you know what? We got a roster spot. Let's bring her in. Let's let her kick. Throw some pads on her. Um, you know, there's going to be some jerk of a guy who's like trying to put a shoulder on her after the kick or something. I hope not. Fuck that guy. I want to see her kick against pressure. And then like, my dream scenario is she wins the Super Bowl. You know, it's like uh, she does a, an Adam Vinatieri has a, a field goal as time expires to win a ring. That would be the coolest thing ever. And I'll say this. I'll leave it at this. She's won a couple World Cups already. So the pressure thing, yeah, it might be a little different in a sport you're not familiar with or haven't played at a pro level. I think she's been on the biggest stage of the world before with her resume where I'm pretty confident she'll be all right. Connor, Miami versus Florida. It was a huge game Saturday night, week zero. We were in Vegas breaking this down all week. The game kind of went as we expected. It was sloppy. That's what you get week zero. Uh, it was a much better game than I expected from a, a competitive standpoint. But we want to talk about players who stood out to us because this was really our first chance to evaluate live football this year. I'll kick things off with Jonathan Greenard, an edge rusher for Florida, number 58. He was unstoppable coming off the edge, showing an amazing first step, really good leverage, very good pad height. He is someone I'll admit was not on my radar outside of his name was on a watch list because he's a grad transfer base. He looked explosive, but he looked great. Like I can't wait to see him against. Let's be honest. The Miami offensive line is not very good. They're very, very young. I can't wait to see him as we get into SEC play and see what what type of player he can be against, you know, the Georgias and Tennessees, LSUs, the, the better competition. I'm with you all the way, Matt. I think the first thing that stood out was how bad the Miami offensive line was. And because so of bad. that, I took another Florida defensive lineman, Jabari Zuniga. Uh, he just took over this game at times. He had a couple sacks, tackles for a loss. I know Greener did too. These two up front, just made life very uncomfortable for the young quarterback, Jaron Williams. And, and I think to watch them go to work, whether it was attacking from the edge or, or shooting gaps to win on the inside to get those tackles for a loss, there was times where they were so, both of them were so quick off the ball that they had beaten the tackles before they'd even picked their head up off the snap. Yes. So, and that's the kind of stuff we could take away two different things here for the drafts, right, Matt? You have one where, okay, the offensive line has to be quicker than that. But two, it says a lot about their first step and their experience. These are both experienced kind of guys, I think. So I was excited to see uh, both Greenard and Zuniga really come out and, and put on a show and, and really light up the stat, the, the box score. Yeah, I was telling Mello, um, because there was one time they, they both got the ball so fast, I was like, oh, that's a false start. It looks like Because it. I was watching the left tackle, and I was like, oh, the no. The left tackle just didn't yes. move. <laughs> like, he was just so slow off the ball. Yeah, so Greener had one and a half sacks, six tackles. He was all over the place. Uh, I do want to praise someone from Miami, uh, two players, uh, actually, from Miami, because they were standout guys. One is not draft eligible, so file the name away. But the first guy, DJ Dallas at running back, is draft eligible, a junior. He was fantastic. I could not understand why he didn't get the ball more. And he only had 12 attempts, but he averaged 7.9 yards per attempt. He had a touchdown. He caught four passes. 
This guy needs more than 16 touches a game. He needs 20 to 25 touches a game because he has the type of talent while Miami struggled in a lot of areas. He is the type of playmaker like I want to get the ball to because he just stood out really throughout the game. Every time 13 got the ball, it felt like something big was going to happen. And then also when the passing game was working for Miami, Florida could not stop true sophomore tight end Brevin Jordan. Now, true sophomore, so he's not 2020 draft eligible, but you could not watch this game and not just be blown away with how good Brevin Jordan looked. They were getting him utilized on screen passes. They were getting him utilized on dumps. He was just a matchup problem lining up really all over the formation. Five catches for 88 yards. I thought Florida did a better job in the second half of matching up with him. But if I'm the Miami coaching staff, Manny Diaz has to figure out how to get DJ Dallas and Brevin Jordan involved more moving forward. Brevin Jordan at times took over that game or kept Miami in the game, at least. And you look at DJ Dallas, that contact balance is very, very real. Some David Montgomery-ish vibes with that contact balance that he showed the other night against some pretty poor Florida tackling. Uh, In the other game, Hawaii with a gigantic win, a wild last second ceiling win over Arizona. The guy that got tackled at that one yard line is my standout player. I love watching Khalil Tate play, Matt, and he looks healthy. The arm looks a little more lively. He's still running for 100 yards here and there. I think he's a phenomenal playmaker. And I think in a league where we're seeing Taysom Hill, Trace McSorley, these guys are getting opportunities to be legitimate quarterbacks. Khalil Tate is going to get his chance. I know we've talked about this before. I said a long time ago, I'd even talked to evaluators that loved Khalil Tate, the football player and figured out, Hey, we'll find a way to get him on the field at the next level. If he can play like he did against Hawaii, which is not guaranteed all the time, uh, he's going to be a legitimate quarterback prospect in the picture. So just to watch his playmaking ability from that position, Arizona, even when they lose, are must-watch TV on this college football season because of the guy they have under center. Yeah, J.J. Taylor in the backfield is another good one as well, running back. But I actually – so we didn't get to watch this game Saturday night because none of the casino bars were carrying this game. So I had to watch it uh, when we got home. I had to watch it yesterday, Monday. The thing that really – um, surprised me was that Tate did look healthy. He looked more explosive. He looked more confident because last year it didn't really feel like he was gelling right in that offense. He still threw two picks was like the big takeaway for me. So I- I'm a- I'm with you. I don't feel like we can ever look at thresholds and discount quarterback prospects anymore. The last few years have taught us that. I am encouraged by what we've seen from Khalil Tate. The the feedback I, I've had early this week is teams are still looking at him as more of an athlete yep. and less as a quarterback, but This is a good first step. 22 of 39, three TDs. The the two picks were there, but this was a good first step for him. Um, This game was just ugly, too. Cole McDonald, the Hawaii quarterback, threw four touchdowns. He also threw four interceptions. Like This was one of the ugliest passing games uh, that that I had the the displeasure of watching. Um, It's going to be fun, though, because I do think Cleo Tate is a guy that we're going to track and monitor throughout the season as a senior. And just like with with Greenard and Zuniga, these are you know potential prospects that we're really going to have our eyes on and be be tracking throughout the year. Connor, not only was there college football on Saturday night, there was a ton of preseason football Friday and Saturday, week three. Normally the biggest, the most important. And there were some things that I think we can finally have takeaways about when it comes to the preseason. Because I have been out here just anytime someone has an opinion, I like roll my eyes. It's like ah, it's just the preseason. Like come on. 
Don't 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 do this to me. And one thing that has really got me through the last three weeks of Jimmy Garoppolo struggling was that oh, it's just the preseason. I'm not going to worry about it. But thank the Lord, Jimmy G looked good in week three against Melo's Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the question is, does Jimmy G look better or is the Chiefs defense still bad? And I don't know the answer. I do know this. I'm more worried about Joe Staley than I am Jimmy Garoppolo. Frank Clark ate his lunch in this game. I don't know if Staley is like, you know, I've been in the league a long time. I'll be fine week one. This is the second week in a row I've seen him get dominated by good defensive ends, which the NFC West is full of. So I'm a little worried about Garoppolo. But Jimmy G, or excuse me, I'm a little worried about Staley. But Jimmy G did look better. I think Niner fans are at least backing up off the cliff. A yeah, this bit. can give Niner fans hopefully a little sigh of relief because it has not been a pretty summer for Prince Aladdin over there in San Francisco so far. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, with Staley, you can look at it this two ways. Yes, he's been beat more than we're accustomed to seeing this summer. But Frank Clark, Matt, is one of the best young pass rushers in football. And I think people are forgetting how much better that makes this Kansas City Chiefs team. It's a pretty scary yeah. situation. But with Jimmy... You had to see this because we've seen the interceptions in su- over summer, whether it's in training camp, whether it's just not good series in games. I, I think him trusting that knee is very important, and I'm not ready to say, hey, he looks back to normal, but at least it's a step in the right direction, executing the offense, not looking lost, but they got to protect this guy. You have to keep him upright. You can't risk him getting hurt again, and, and this is a huge year for the Niners, for Jimmy G, for Kyle Shanahan, for John Lynch. They need to show that some of these personnel decisions are not only working on the field, but also it, executing from a coaching staff standpoint, so this was a really big one for San Francisco. It really was. And for me, it is just a little sigh of relief. We can back up. For now. God, yeah, Frank Clark, look, Frank Clark looks amazing. Uh, the Saints offense, no surprise, is going to be a juggernaut. When you have Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas, special things are going to happen. But it feels like the Saints can't do anything wrong offensively right now. It's like they have that golden touch. Everything is working. And the offensive line, they've seemed to have found the right mix in there with Eric McCoy at center, Andrews Pete at left guard. They just have a really, really good group. And I mean, they're even getting like Zach Line involved at the fullback position, which I love. This team is just, it, it really does feel like whatever Sean Payton wants to do is working and clicking at a very high rate. Yeah, the best triplets in football with Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara. Uh, no rust shown in this game. I think uh, the Jets' corners are a significant problem right now. I think they can give confidence to anyone. They just can't cover anyone. Jamal Adams is going to be have uh, be bailing out a lot of people this season. I'll tell you that much. But on the flip side, on the other side of this game, Sam Darnold with a touchdown, touchdown drive for the third straight preseason game. I think there's been very promising results for Sam heading into year two with Adam Gase. Now, once again, you said it, Matt. How excited can we be about the preseason? This has to translate on the field, and he'll get a chance to do that against a very tough defense against Buffalo week one of this season I'm excited for Darnold and and this is a conversation that you and, and Melo and myself had a lot while he was at USC and last year here's a player who threw a lot yes. of picks in college um, a lot but he also had huge moments as Texas fans we know that the overtime game at USC uh, one of the best performances I saw that entire year because Darnold is just so poised if he can cut down on the picks and I think that's where Adam Gase's system comes in then the rest of the NFL should be really excited about Darnold because he's tough, he's accurate, he's athletic enough. I, I will say this. I understand that we have Baker mania right now, 
in the NFL, I don't think the gap is that large. And this is very much a wait and see because we really have nothing to, to, that's just a a feeling. It's just an opinion. We have no analytics right now, no stats to back that up because it's just been the preseason. Yeah. But I will say as excited as everyone is about Baker, I'm equally as excited about Darnold. And I think that's fair. I mean, Sam's not going to be throwing to Odell Beckham this year. Now it's good to see him get a three down running back in Le'Veon Bell. We haven't even seen that connection yet. I think that's something to be excited about here with Sam. It's just all about cutting down the turnovers and you can make the same case for Baker Mayfield right now, because you look at that preseason game, Matt, against a Bucks defense that is not good. It is not a good unit. No, it's the worst in the NFL. And he did not look good. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say we need to see the real offense. I get that argument because I'm watching my team without Le'Veon Bell on the field. The Browns want to see Odell Beckham on the field. But Baker came out and said it. I need to be better. It starts with me. I think he was phenomenal in that stretch run last year. But I think maybe we need to cool it a little bit and not expect him to be this top five quarterback right away this year. And Maybe he is. But I think... You know, this other the last week's game against the Bucks was a was a dose or come back to reality moment. Yeah. And I honestly thought like, I mean, I know the offensive line did not play well. I thought Baker missed on a couple throws that we would normally see him make or that you would expect him to make. Now, again, I I feel like I'm saying this a lot. It is the preseason, but. I worry so much about Freddie Kitchens as a first-time head coach because I think as quickly as everyone jumped on the Baker train, there was at least some evidence there. There were some reasons for feeling that way. With Freddie Kitchens, the, the dude came in as an interim OC and got the head coaching job. So I just want to be fair. As much as we have shit on Cliff Kingsbury, or not shit on, just been like, let's hey, see it. let's not forget this guy got fired at Texas Tech. I want to see it before I, before I go crazy about it. The same could be said for Freddie Kitchens. I need to see it. And we've we've seen too many interim coaches who, you know, they just come in and they change the right couple things and they get some, you know, an us against the world mentality and they're able to win some ball games and keep the job. I want to see Freddie Kitchens succeed because I think he's hilarious, but I'm a little hesitant about the Browns right now. And this is a team I picked to win the AFC North. I'm a little afraid of that prediction. If it makes you feel any better, that defensive line might be the best in football this year. I mean, good. It really James Winston took a beating a beating from that group the other night. Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon having a classic meet at the quarterback party. I think that's going to be a common theme this week. And finally, on the preseason recap, man, this is a big one, Matt, not only for fantasy football implications, but for we see one domino fall. Andrew Luck retires. Lamar Miller out for the season in Houston for a running back group that was a little thin. They add Duke Johnson to, you know, give them some insurance. Now Duke is the guy in Houston. How do we feel about this? I love it if he can stay healthy because he's had hamstring injuries. I know he hasn't missed a lot of time in the NFL, but he has been banged up a lot. We've seen that really affect his role and his touches. This fit is phenomenal. They're going to run a ton out of the gun, out of pistol. That's what he's best at. He's a good receiver coming out of the backfield. He has very good outside zone speed. I think they need to add another running back still, obviously. Uh, Ideally, you would add someone who has a little bit of power to their game, especially some short yardage capabilities. But I think this is why you make the move to get Duke Johnson is because Lamar Miller has unfortunately not been able to stay healthy. Dante Foreman, they cut him. Guess what? He's already on IR with a new team. So it's just they they need some consistency in that backfield. 
And they, you know, this is a team that needs to find, you know, their version of Damian Williams. The Chiefs picked him up last year after the Kareem Hunt situation. Now he looks like he's going to be a really solid player for them. The almost like this needs to be your Benny Cunningham type pickup. You need to find someone, you know, that can get the job done in a short term until you find a, a long term. I'm guy. with you. I don't think you need to spend the resources and money to go out and panic and get Melvin Gordon. And I'll say, I'll I say this: when the play breaks down, Deshaun Watson alongside Pat Mahomes, is the best in the league, possibly, or at least the most promising youngster right now when the play breaks down. When the play breaks down, Duke Johnson turns into a wide receiver, not a running back. I think this duo is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Connor, it is draft on draft time, buddy. Let's kick it off. Mike Hubbard wants to know, what player has the most to lose in terms of draft stock this year? I.e. Greedy Williams. Uh, could it be Grant Delpit? Focus will be on him all year long, every single play. Way different player than Quinn Williams last year, who was under the radar. That's that's Mike's question all there. Uh, we need quotes now that you can see us. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a player that I'm like, ooh, this guy has the most to lose. But I will say it's really the offensive line class as a whole because it's easy to get excited about Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs or even if Alaric Jackson's your guy or even if Walker Little's your guy or Trey Adams. We have seen some really good offensive linemen in the last couple of years just be tore down by the draft really process. Have. And even though Mike McGlinchey was still a top 10 pick, even though Jonah Williams was an early pick, they really struggled through the process of just being tore down by analysts, by teams where, you know, if the Niners hadn't taken McGlinchey, he would have fallen a decent amount. If Jonah hadn't been picked by the Bengals, I believe he would have fallen a decent amount. So I would say it's the offensive lineman where, you almost have to, when you're talking about how the NFL sees offensive linemen, you almost have to adjust for that. You almost have to look at the curve and say, okay, I believe this guy could be a top 10 offensive lineman, so he's probably going to be drafted in the late teens because that's just how the NFL is viewing these players now. I'm with you there. I think they get ripped apart every year, whether it's arm length, whether it's positional questions, whether it's character questions, it's level of competition, on and on and on. For me to counter this question I think it might be Tua Tungavailoa, and I'm saying that as someone, I'm, he's my favorite quarterback prospect. And I know, Matt, you were, we were talking in Vegas that you agree with this. You love Tua. Yes. Yeah. Tua playing for Alabama, throwing to Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, handing it off to Najee Harris, having a good offensive line that includes Jed- Jedrick Wills. Tua essentially has to, is expected to be perfect this year. And even if he is, then he goes into the draft process and he gets hit with the height questions. He gets hit with the arm strength questions. He gets hit with, well, he had better players around him than anyone else in this class questions. That's how it's going to be for Tua. I don't agree with it. I think Tua is the best quarterback in this class. I think Tua should be a top five pick when all is said and done, as long as he can stay healthy. But Tua has basically had this bar set for him where there's no room for a drop-off. He had one week last year where he got hurt and had a drop-off, <laughs> and it cost him the Heisman Trophy. What, People fucking What do you out. think it's yeah. going to do to the draft process for him? Yeah, I, I feel like Tua is going to be a Deshaun Watson type guy where people just overthink Completely it. Completely agree. You know, it's like, oh, well, look at the, because with Deshaun, it was, oh, he's not big enough. And oh, look at the town around him. Or oh, he turned the ball over too much. That then he'll go to year. the Colts, 13th yeah. overall. Right. <laughs> Forget the fact that Deshaun Watson beat Alabama basically by himself with a, you know, 28 year old true freshman Hunter Renfro catching the game winning <laughs> pass. So I, I do agree with you that Tua is the guy that will probably be overlooked or not overlooked, but hyper analyzed to where people will overthink it when just watch that dude drop the ball in the bucket. Like just it's beautiful to watch him throw the ball. So I, I actually agree with that one a lot. Patrick Chamberlain 
Going for perfect, perfect attendance, attendance, baby. Uh, we are we are almost nine months through the year, and I believe he has had a draft on draft question at least submitted for every show. His question today. Is there any conceivable way not involving an Eli Manning injury <laughs> that you can see the Giants starting Daniel no. Jones week one? And he adds, please. He adds a please I, in. I feel so bad uh, for no. that. Um, it's just not happening. I don't know what else to say. It's not. Ownership will not let this happen. There's no way. The only way is if John Mara and Steve Tisch find out that Eli Manning is like selling drugs on the side, like hard stuff, not like some weed. Like he's like moving meth. I think that's the only way that this would happen. Eli Manning's meth lab. <laughs> um, it's like Breaking Bad, I, right? Listen, he's the least expected guy ever. It's. I don't know if we're going to see Daniel Jones till the second half of the season. Uh, and that's if, uh, like yeah. if Saquon Barkley carries Eli Manning to a 4-4 four and four record, you're not going to see Daniel Jones. You're not. That's the crazy part about this. I look at this situation, and I would like to see Daniel Jones. Um, I just think ownership has made it very clear. You could see the frustration building in Pat Shermer's interviews with the media week after week because they're asking and they're speaking for the fans because the fans want to know. And Shermer is like, I don't know what you want me to say. We've made our decision, and we're not we're not right. getting off that decision. So. It's a tough one, and sorry, Giants fans. You're just going to be a little patient to see your young quarterback in meaningful games. This one from Jack Schneider. Do you think Andrew Luck retiring forces more priority on the offensive line for NFL teams in the future? Sure, but you got to find those guys, Luck. like we were just talking about. I, it's not like there's any NFL team that's like, you know what, fuck it, let's scamp on the, the offensive line. Actually, right, but they like they're they trying. Tried to they're drop finally some. trying. Like it's it's a bad effort, but they're trying. <laughs> You know, like the Bills paid four offensive linemen this offseason. Like teams yeah. are actually trying to no one wants their young quarterback to get hurt. You just you don't. I mean, maybe the Titans do so that they can somehow get Tua. Like they can be bad enough and it's not blamed on Mike Vrabel or John Robinson. That was a joke. No. Someone listening is gonna be like, Matt Miller says the Titans hope Marcus Mariota gets hurt again. Oh god. I yeah, didn't be mean careful that. with that. That was sarcasm. Right? Uh, no, I mean, yes, there is a ton of focus on the offensive line, but it's just it's hard to find those guys. It really is, man. It's if everyone could do it, it would be a priority year after year. It's just the offensive line play is falling behind the defensive line play. It's as simple as yeah. that. So it's tough, man. It's tough. I think teams, it'll be a wake up call that maybe you don't have your young quarterback play through whether it's lacerations or tears. I think that's the biggest. I mean, remember story Deshaun yeah, Watson it's... having to take a bus to games last year because he wasn't medically cleared to fly? Right. That should be a wake-up yeah. call. That should be a wake-up call. Yeah. Jo yeah. I applaud the toughness of these guys. but God Josh damn. Allen and Lamar Jackson, you don't need to take 700 hits every year. Great runners. Right. Great runners. Love it in their game. Protect that body. Got to protect that body. Our buddy Tyler Warden, I loved this question. I actually answered to him on Twitter. I'll read it here. Uh, what are the top five excuses I can tell to avoid seeing people on the weekend just so I can stay home and watch football? So I saw that you answered this one on Twitter. I wanted to actually to take this because Please. one of the lessons that I've learned from Mello over the last couple of years is uh, he would just tell people, no, I don't, I don't want to see anyone this weekend. I'm going to stay home. Same. In my hoodie and my sweats, and I'm going to watch football. So my advice to Tyler is just be honest. You do not owe anyone anything. Unless You're, it's your girlfriend. Just say, hey, <laughs> right? it's college football opening weekend. I'm going to stay home. I might not leave my couch. My phone will only be on to tweet. Don't text me. I mean, that's living the dream, man. And then people know. Instead of like, 
you don't want to be like, oh, I'm sick because you're going to be on Twitter tweeting about the game. I mean, you don't want to kill off a family member because I believe in karma. That yeah, shit will it'll actually that. happen. So just say, just own it. Be like, I want to be fucking lazy and order in tacos and watch college football. But if you have to lie, <laughs> here's right. the. But if you had here's the five yeah. reasons I came up with. Uh, one, you you have to study for grad school. It doesn't matter if you're in grad school or not. People, it'll work. They'll be like, oh, congrats! Like that's so great. You take that that's seriously. True. Two, you have a wedding somewhere that's far away. You will not be in town. People will not check on your house. Three, you're too hungover to leave your home. Very believable because college football's on Saturdays, NFL's on Sundays. People do things on Friday and Saturday nights. Number four, watching someone's dog. I don't think you could challenge that. Now, you might have to put up some kind of dog video on Instagram, whether it's yours or not. Five, I can hook you up. Some kind of family yeah, event. You need dog videos. I, people do things Ooh. with their families. So, Matt has kids. He can't leave the house. The kids are around. It'll work. It's true. Yeah, or, I mean, Tyler, we gave a guy this excuse, I think it was probably two years ago, uh, on a, a long-forgotten segment. We told him that we will hire you as an intern, an unpaid volunteer intern, <laughs> volunteer. for the weekend. And you can just say, hey, I'm doing some work for stick to football, so I can't I can't leave the house. So, in the event that you really need an excuse, we got We'll you. take care of you. All right, one more yeah. for the week. Uh, this one from Bardales965 on this Instagram DMs. With Andrew Luck's retirement due to injuries, is it safe to say Ryan Grigson is the worst GM in NFL history for never building a team around him? I don't think you can say that. He's bad. I don't. I wouldn't go as far as saying the worst in He's history. Bad. Anyone bad. would have taken I Andrew mean, Luck number one. I mean, Sashi Brown's pretty bad. I, yeah, but there's people that don't agree with that. I know, I know. You got to tear it down to build it it's up. Tired. I don't know. I, he drafted T.Y. Hilton 92nd overall. That was a good pick. <laughs> Here we go. I just think it was mismanagement of resources. Really. I mean, he just he made some bad picks. Absolutely. If I would say anything, it's that he really struggled to build through mid-round picks because that's where you see so many teams really build their offensive line. It's like, okay, we have really good you know, second, third-round picks on the offensive line. But, I mean, he did draft Ryan Kelly. He, Ryan Kelly's a stud. But it was just almost too little too late. Yeah. Well, let's go through his drafts here because he, That's what he I drafted just, yeah, 2012 bad. through 2016. And it's it's not great. Obviously, he starts out with Andrew Luck. And then he had that two tight end draft after that. Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, T.Y. Hilton. Not the worst draft, okay? Not the worst draft right yeah. there. 2013 got really weird. I mean, a complete wipeout. Uh, Warner, remember the, is he German, right? The Florida State? The Florida State kid, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a swing and miss. And you won't recognize the rest of the players that he took after that. No. 2014, he took Jack Muhort. Dante Moncrief was a miss for him. Jonathan Noose, another really just a draft that they got nothing. They got nothing. 2015, Philip Dorsett was a bad pick. Yeah, in the in the first round, he, he really was a was. bad pick. Henry Anderson in so the was third Juan round Smith. was a great pick, but he doesn't play for the Colts anymore. Um, right. 2016, like you said, Ryan Kelly and TJ Green. I mean, Lil Raven Clark. It's it's not great. He's not the worst GM ever, but no. he's on the list. Yeah, I mean, I. I honestly think one of the things that really hurt Ryan Grigson was that his college scouting staff, there's a reason those dudes aren't like popping up anywhere else. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about that with Ballard. He has Ed Dodds. He had Rex Hogan. Like you have to build a good staff under you. 
Yes. So I think that's a big part of it. Not the worst in history. I've I've seen some shit, guys. That is not the but worst. But he'll be that, that's bad. People will view him as the guy that ruined Andrew Luck. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, but did. you could say that about Ted Thompson and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. It's an interesting debate. Do I, I mean, your Jets have had worse GMs than oh, this. I had to live through the Trent Baalke era. Without a doubt, we've had worse GMs. But yeah. you had Mike Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum got us to an AFC championship. <laughs> Sneaky game. good. John Idzik That's right. was the worst GM ever. <laughs> People always forget God, the guy forgot after John the guy. Idzik. Uh Woof, man. It's a great discussion. I actually think that's a good iTunes review for the week. Who do you think the worst GM is of all time? And if you don't have a say on that, who's the worst GM of your favorite NFL franchise? I like that a lot. All right. That is our show. Connor is out. So it'll be me and Mello holding it down Friday. It's going to be a lot of this brick wall behind me and, and a lot of Mello. We're going to have fun previewing week one of the college football season. So if you're if you're looking forward to like an in-depth preview of week one, we're going to give it to you uh, Friday morning. Stick to football on Apple Podcasts. Now YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. We're taking follow over the world. BR We're going to have, Iron. Channel we'll have tons of social clip outs on BR Gridiron. And of course, follow the Stick to Football accounts. I mean, we just had some pretty kick-ass interviews in Las Vegas. What else can you ask for?